Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Dr. Nat Petahoff. She is a chief strategist and former Forrester analyst. And uh, we go way back. I am happy to have her with me on this podcast. Welcome. Hi, welcome. Thank you. So now I was um, just going over my feeds this morning and I saw that uh, my good friend Brian Solis had blogged three videos uh, that you conceived and produced uh, for Salesforce about making the business case for social customer service. It's interesting because most of the conversation on this podcast is about social media for marketing or for PR or for corp comms, but you're talking about it for customer service. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so what kind of my purview on the landscape is that social media kind of exploded and the, the functional areas that got it first were PR and marketing. And so they really dove into it. And then having had a background in CRM, which is, at least from my definition, is marketing, sales, and service, I had always played in the marketing field, being a systems implementer and integrator as a consultant. So I knew a lot about marketing, and I was watching how marketers and PR people were using it. And I thought, you know what? I wonder, this is such a customer-facing interaction, right? Social media is. So, and customer service is so used to interacting with their customers in a two-way kind of interaction, not so much on the web because up until, you know, really lately we haven't had the tools to do that, but definitely having conversations with your customers. And so when I was an analyst, I thought, well, this is really interesting. I started to watch it. And so the first thing I did was to write an ROI model for social uh, media because I thought, you know what, everybody's going, oh, well, is this real? Is it not real? Is this going to stick around? And uh, my gut feeling based on years and years of being in business was that if people are, customers are talking to businesses, businesses are talking to customers, businesses are talking to other businesses, that has got to be, have an amazing ROI. So I thought, okay, let's just stop all the uh, silly talk here. Let's do an ROI model and start looking at where the bottom line business pieces are. And then now we can talk about strategy or tactics. So, you know, we've spoken quite a bit on this show about building the business case for social marketing. But how do you build the business case for social customer service? Well, one of the things that you really want to do is get the attention of the executives because you want their buy-in and you want money, resources, uh, and so the, the technique that I've seen that's worked the best is to actually go out and start monitoring the social net for mentions about your business. So you can type into Google Alerts uh, your, your brand name plus um, hate or sucks or love, and you can start to understand with some very basic free tools what's being said about your business. And most often, um, customers are talking about your business when things are not going well, and the people who usually have to answer those issues are customer service. 
so what I found was the best way to get executives and, you know, like if, if you, in a customer service world, what you really want is you'd want your executives to come and sit and spend a day in the call center listening to what customers are saying about the company, right? Because that's your, those are your direct advocates and ambassadors to your brand. And they're constantly hearing good, bad, and the ugly. But rarely does an executive get to hear that. And so in the olden days, when I was doing that kind of work, I would actually tape record calls and play them in an executive meeting or or send MP3 files or whatever. So in this case, for social media, what seems to be really impactful is to, one, get their attention and just go out there, grab screenshots, put them in a PowerPoint, and send them to your executives and say, hey, I thought maybe this is something that you'd like to see. And wait for their response. So are you are you saying you think most CEOs today are really unaware of what customers are saying about their brands and social media? Is that really the case? I would say that I don't think that they're unaware, but I think that they have so many things to think about that I don't really think they completely understand the power of social media. And I think that when you actually see your brand being dashed or being talked about very poorly, and you get a sense of that this is kind of permanent, it's kind of I, I liken it to uh, writing on a cave wall. I mean, this isn't stuff you can take down, right? It's permanent. And if you start to think about lead generation or return on investment, you have a website, let's say, and you have a product and it's being, you know, and the reviews are really low and bad, well, that stays up forever. So all of a sudden they start to make the connection between online and permanence and what's being said. And if we look to Zappos, um, you know, when I talked to Tony and those guys, he basically said, we're a company, we're a service company that, by the way, happens to sell stuff. And I think that the thing that distinguishes them is their model was to provide really great customer service and use social media as part of how we market. And there's all these incredible stories about how, you know, people called up and they were lost in the wilderness and or wanted to know what the best pizza joint was. And in that particular case, you know, those stories of service, um, because the agents could answer those questions, got media attention. And I think what there's... To me, customer, giving good, good customer service is the smartest business decision you could ever do, right? Because it affects loyalty, it affects word of mouth, but somehow we're still operating from customer service as part of the Rodney Dangerfield effect, meaning it doesn't get respect. So how do you get executives interested and I think putting it in front of them for them to see what's being said and that it's permanent is a really good way. I mean, I, it's interesting because I've seen it. I haven't seen it not work yet. Let's let's dive a little deeper into this idea of customer services being so valuable. I mean, when I think about a company like Zappos, which sells a product that someone else makes, or when I think about, you know, mm-hmm. Gary Vee's Wine Library, which, again, sells products that someone else makes, I can see how that makes a lot of sense. I can also see how it would make a lot of sense for pretty much any consumer brand. Um, But when you think about, um, you know, what's happening today in terms of product failures, real failures, either perceived failures or systemic product failures, um, 
You know, I, I think about Apple's iPad and iPod and iPhone and how they've sort of lowered the benchmark for ease of use and I think consumer expectations of ease of use. But if you think about, you know, most of the other consumer electronics that, products that are out there, they don't really measure up. They're still quite difficult to use in comparison to those products. And if you really think about, a, I would say most products in the marketplace today that require any sort of, you know, uh, demonstration to be able to use, uh, they're all much harder to use than, say, the Apple products. Um, so I could see how customer expectations for ease of use are trending downward. And how could, say, the customer service department ease that pain for a company that has a product that is perceived to be either difficult to use or a failure in the eyes of the consumer? Well, I think there's two things. I, I mean, my perspective on social media customer service is kind of goes back to the Deming days. Um, Edward Deming, who was, you know, the person that said basically listen to your employees and listen to your customers. Take that feedback. Don't, you know, like don't just diss it, don't just collect it, but actually change your business. And so I think one of the things is that customer service people on a daily basis here, here's what's not working so well for me. And if theoretically without social media, you should have been able to take the data that the call center agents, you know, through text mining or, or video or audio recording, be able to sort through that, take that information and um, integrate it back into the company so that you could make products better. So there's the product innovation thing. I also think customer service people could be used in terms of really helping people to use the product better. But the question then becomes, do you actually understand what business you're in? So again, if you think customer service I mean, the way that most service centers are, are run is that an agent has to get off the phone um, in four minutes. And so when the three minutes and 50 second mark comes up, that's when you start to see them say, well, okay, are we all set? And usually the customer's issue is not completed. And so you always want to re reward the behavior that you want repeated. And so the issue is, what is the function of customer service? Is it to help with the user experience? Is it to train people how to use a product? Is it just to take phone calls and do return merchandise authorizations? So I think that if you start to look at customer service as a brand ambassador, and oftentimes, even though it's service department, they're answering sales and marketing questions, right? So let's say a brand delivers a marketing message and a brand promise. And then people want to call up and say, well, I'm looking at this product and that product. What should I do? That's a marketing question. Or they're helping to close sales. Or how someone gets treated in the service process affects whether people buy down the road. So I think really look, re-looking at the function that customer service is and, and thinking of it as more of a marketing sales PR function and that those are your frontline agents delivering on those various disciplines could really revolutionize how companies approach. And I, I think that that's the differentiator in a company like Zappos where they knew that their word of mouth, I mean, when they began, they didn't have money for marketing and sales and PR. So what they did was they just decided that word of mouth would be the way that they would gain customers and the way that they wanted to gain customers was 
having extraordinary customer service. And I don't think it meant necessarily like, you know, my iPod is broken or my remote control on my TV is broken, but it was more about creating a relationship where people were so stunned because usually the relationship between a consumer and a company is so bad that any bit of kindness or helpfulness, especially when it wasn't, you know, it's just out of the ordinary, garnered such loyalty. And, you know, that's really their word of mouth is how they built their business. And then, of course, you know, it spilled over into the B2B part because then all of a sudden all these people wanted to sell their stuff through Zappos because Zappos provides this great customer interface. So it affected not only the B2C but the B2B part. And, I mean, you know, I'm right there with you. Certainly, you know, loyalty and opinions affect sales in competitive markets. But, you know, in a business environment that's increasingly dominated by organizations that are essentially too big to fail, right, do opinions really matter? I mean, you think about, like, the healthcare world, um, you know, the big health insurance providers, or any of the um, utilities that essentially, you know, have uh, a bit of spectrum that's given to them by the government that they trade against. Um, you know, in all those environments, you know, consumers don't really have that much choice. And, you know, we're seeing so many companies through mergers and consolidations get so big. Uh, do you think for those types of companies where the markets aren't as competitive, is customer service really as important? Well, I think that's one of the areas where you're looking now at the cost of customer service. And so if you look at providing better, better customer service agents and answering questions, I mean, you're absolutely right. In a market where people are trapped, so utilities or energy where there are no other alternatives, I mean, unless you go buy solar panels, um, and not a lot of people are going to do that. In some ways, there's a trap loyalty because you have to. But if you start to look at it, the number of times people call, so I was helping a utility company, and people would call and get their bill and wouldn't understand it, so they would call. Um, when they did call, the customer service people either weren't nice or couldn't answer the questions. And so one of the things that, that costs companies a lot of money is first call resolution. And it also makes people feel better. But in this case, it was more about how many times we were looking at how many times does the same person call for the same issue. And so in that case, it's a cost issue, right? So when people keep calling back for the same thing, it's just if you can't answer the question or do it in a courteous way or helpful way, people are going to call back and the most expensive part of a customer service center is the agent salary. So if you look at <clears throat> look at that as running a business in a business you want more money going coming in than going out. So let's say you're charging, you know, a dollar for the service but then the customer service calls go up to a dollar 10 or a dollar 20 that's just what it costs, and because you're not being efficient or, or good about what, what you're doing, then you're really, your, co your call center is a cost center. And I think customer service has kind of been one like an afterthought, well, it's something that we have to do. But whether you're generating revenue or you're saving costs, both of those hit the bottom line. But if the um, objective of the call is to explain a customer how to read their bill and you see that you're getting a lot of those calls, wouldn't you just change the way you do your bill rather than try to fix the problem through customer service? 
Well, that's a very good question. So one of the things that has always, and this is my organizational change back, change management background, is it would make sense to fix the root cause, right? And my background is engineering, so you always want to fix the root of the cause. But sometimes, and that means, so, and this often happens, customer service is getting calls for reasons that they didn't create. And so you can go back to the billing and procurement departments and say, we need to fix this. But oftentimes, because there isn't collaboration across cross-functional, that doesn't get fixed. And so one of the things that I did with one company was we went and we started doing chargebacks to other departments where the issue that somebody was calling about was unrelated to customer service or their main charter. And then people said, oh, well, maybe we ought to fix that bill. It's like, yeah, maybe. Because, see, it wasn't incumbent on these other departments because they weren't encountering any um, penalty, if you will, or any cost for doing stupid things. I mean, when I teach class uh, at a couple different universities, the first thing I do in, in a class, like on leadership, I'll say, okay, here I get everybody little notebooks and a pencil, and I say, when you see stupid things happen in your company, I want you to write a little tick mark. And, of course, that gets like a roar of laughter because... Most people say, well, in my company, there are stupid things that happen every single day. I have no idea why, and we can't seem to change it. So why I would say absolutely yes to logic, oftentimes what's logical, for whatever reason, politics not invented here, not my fault, throw it over the fence. Sometimes you can't fix the root cause, and that's actually why I left corporate America and became a consultant, because it was more fun making recommendations than being inside the trapped hierarchy of seeing the right thing to do and not being able to act, act on it. And there's something about being a consultant where, when the, you know, you might say something and nobody listens but as an employee, but then if a consultant says it, oh my gosh, everybody just jumps in line and does it. We're talking to Dr. Nat Pettahoff about selling the value of social customer service. And when we come back, she's going to tell us how to calculate the ROI of a social customer service campaign. Uh, She'll talk about the value of direct and indirect call deflection and also how social customer service benefits the whole company. Stay with us. I had dabbled in Twitter on my own in microblogging and a little bit in blogging, but it's quite a different thing to go from kind of playing around with these platforms on a personal level to trying to implement them for a 7,000 employee organization. So about six months into this uh, new job, I met you at the, uh, at the social media workshop, and it was the perfect time because what it gave me were two really important things to take back to my organization at that time. It gave me the technical know-how, how to set up a dashboard, what are the free tools, what are the paid tools, what options do we have, and how can we you know, implement internal workflows that would allow us to monitor um, everything we need to monitor with the resources that we had. If you'd like to get the technical knowledge, the practical experience, the hands-on capability to integrate social media into organizational communications, I'll be teaching a hands-on training presented by Social Media Today in the month of September 2011. I'll be in Sydney, Singapore, London, Paris, Toronto, New York City, Chicago, and San Francisco. There are only 30 spaces per city. And you can sign up at socialmediabootcamp.com. 
Um, so talk to us for a second about this calculation, if you would, just at a high level. Walk us through how to calculate um, the ROI of uh, social customer service. So in any kind of ROI uh, equation, there's costs, um, there's gains or benefits. And so those are the two pieces that at a very high level you need to figure out. And then, you know, you do benefits minus cost divided by cost times 100 to get the return on investment in a percentage. And so what we started to do was, and, and I think this is one of the reasons that there aren't more people doing ROI models, especially for social media, it's because you need to have three different disciplines hold the, it's a complexity issue. You need to hold three different disciplines in your mind at the same time and be able to come to conclusions. The first one is truly understanding where the costs and the savings can be in a call center. The second one is how does a particular functional area apply social media to that particular area? So in this case, how would customer service use social media? And then understanding what are the changes in business dynamics that happen when somebody applies social to a particular functional area. And so for, for call centers, um, the most expensive piece of an agent or a call center is the agent salary. And so what you want to do is still deliver great customer experience, but um, how do you do that and minimize the amount of time and energy people are spending with the agents? And so when I started to look at this, one of the things that we found was that the phenomenon of the super user. And the super user is the one that actually provides this um, amazing service. And they're, they're kind of your brand ambassadors who the, the super user in and of itself is a fascinating kind of paradigm. So there are these people out there that are brand fanatics who know more about your products and services than you could ever possibly know. And I think there was a recent Harvard Business study about the number of CMOs that engage with super users. It's very low, maybe 8%. Um, but for instance, I have a friend who runs a cable uh, satellite TV organization, and um, he found someone who had 250 remote controls, and that was this person's hobby. And he knew all about it. <clears throat> and so he said, well, let me invite this person into my online customer service community and have him start answering questions for uh, the brand. And, of course, everybody's always afraid that, you know, what if somebody gives them the wrong answer and they blow up their TV, but we'll, we'll deal with that in a second. What happens is that the super users are so gaga about your brand that they cannot wait to answer the questions. So what you end up happening, having is um, basically this whole army of agents that results in direct and indirect call deflections. Right, and that's something you talk about um, uh, in the movie. By the way, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not seen these videos that uh, Nat created for Salesforce, you got to check them out. So head on over to the blog, ontherecordpodcast.com, and watch these YouTube videos that I've embedded in there uh, because it walks through these ROI calculations, how to do them ad nauseum. But one of the things I noticed in episode two, which is, there's three different videos, they're all embedded in the blog if you wanna check them out, but in the second episode, um, there is this 
you know, calculation about call deflection. So talk to us about call deflections, the different types of deflections, and how you would work that into an ROI calc. Sure. So, so our goal here is to look at how can we reduce the major cost in a call center, which is the agent. So if we could have agents not being on the phone or we're going to call that agent deflection, then we would reduce our cost. So there are two kinds, direct and indirect. And one kind of uh, deflection is um, when someone, you know, has a question, they post a question, and somebody in the community answers. That's called um, a direct uh, deflection. And indirect, let's say that you've built your community, you've built it over, up over time, then someone can actually search in the community and they don't need to ask someone in the community a question, so they just find the answers that from things that have already been posted. And so these are the two kind of categories in terms of being able to calculate that. And there's some basic things that you need to know. And if, of course, one of the basic things is you have to have a good community and you have to seed that community and understand all the things around community dynamics, the 1990 principle, which is 1% is super users, the 9% is uh, people who interact, and then the 90% are just people who tune in, but they don't interact. So there's a whole lesson on community development. But we, we've we actually got a bunch it. of really great past episodes on that with experts, so I'll make sure that we've Ooh. got links to some of those episodes <clears throat> in the show notes, but go ahead. Right, so, th so that's really, I mean, and again, we're looking at this complexity issue. If you didn't understand the social dynamics of people online in these social communities, you would never see that there could be call deflection, right? But if you understand the, and it'd be great for people to take a look at your community building um, videos, so if you understand how to do that and you do it really well and you recruit the right people and you, you treat them as VIPs, then these super users are the ones that are going to be answering the questions. So you could look online and see the number of new questions asked, and then the uh, percentage answered by the super users. And then generally, we look at some sort of deflection rate, so we have to assume that some percentage of those people are going to call the call center even if they looked online, but some don't. And so we use a really small percentage of 10% of the people that posted online, um, those that we're going to assume 10% of those didn't ever call. We, we think the numbers are probably higher than that, and you can actually, if you're running a call center, you can actually kind of uh, cross-check some of that. So if you take the, um, the cost of an average call in our calculations, um, we said it was $28, and that's, we're thinking there that the, it's the agent plus their burden salary times uh, the number of questions answered, um, that gives you around 140 per month, and then you multiply that by $20 a call, that's about $10,000 a month, or about $120,000 a year, which if, if is not a lot. Interrupt for a second. So if I wanted to try to get, a, get some feel for how many of my customer issues were being answered by, answered by the website, and I wanted to look at, say, mm -hmm. my web stats, I couldn't really mm -hmm. do that, right? Because there's no way to know from the web stats if they resolve their issue or not, right? 
Well, not necessarily. I mean, one of the things is that when someone posts a question and then someone posts an answer, then in a really good run community, someone would check back and say, did this answer to your question, yes or no? Good point. And, right? So yeah, it, good point. There's a whole lot of psychology behind how you're designing and maintaining your community. So without that kind of knowledge, I mean, if you're just, not looking and not maintaining your community and not checking with people, then uh, you're right, absolutely right. But if you are actually watching, and most um, most people, when they see a question that isn't answered by the community, customer service agents will step in. Um, and oftentimes, after a while, you have a bank of answers and pages that you create with URLs that have the instructions to the most common issues that are there. But, but interestingly enough, um, you know, it, it, it does actually work. We're talking to Dr. Nat. She is a chief strategist and former Forrester analyst, and she just created three videos for Salesforce about uh, selling the value or making the business case, rather, of uh, social customer service, calculating the ROI. And then episode three in the three-part series of videos is about how customer service uh, benefits the entire company, or rather, how social customer service benefits the entire company. How, how does it benefit the entire company? Well, this goes back to the days when I was a little kid, and I was sitting at the dinner table. My dad worked for Ford, and he would talk about this guy named Deming. And Dem he told me, Deming said, listen to your customers, listen to your employees, and take all that information and integrate it back into your company. And so what I kind of think social media is, because a lot of executives ask me, and I say, well, what if you had a way that you could listen to what your customers were saying and understand what they liked and didn't like about your products, and you made product changes or product, you know, you developed products the customers were actually asking for? So you look at product life cycle, um, product development time, you look at features and function development, um, having been an engineer in a previous life, I can tell you that often engineers do feature and function, you know, they just can't stop themselves until you cut them off. And, um, and because they're like, oh, but Nat, this is going to be like, if I could just add this one more button, it would be so great. And it, but the customers really want all that. I don't, don't know. Um, so if you start to really look at the concept of listening to your customers and listening to your employees and really understanding the goal that's there. And it's not like the old days in the forums and bulletin boards. This data is very structured. It's thousands upon thousands of people saying the same thing over and over and giving you amazing ideas. So now you're looking at lead generation cost reduction. You're looking at word of mouth. You're looking at PR. You're looking at avoiding a PR disaster, so companies that when they are listening and monitoring and see that something is being said about them, um, if they don't, you know, think that the week ends on Friday, um, well, we've seen a couple disasters like that where they didn't look up until Monday and they went, oops, uh, we're in trouble now. I mean, just, you know, mitigating the cost of brand crisis can be a savings. So what I, what I kind of think social media is deming on steroids. I think he's up there in the clouds jumping up and down going, yes, yes, that's what I was saying. And I've just been waiting for this cool technology where customers and businesses can talk to each other. So we have that now. And so every single department 
has a way to save money, to be more efficient, to generate more revenue. And so when, when I explain it like that, because I'll start by saying, well, do you want to make more money? Do you want to save costs? Okay, now maybe you ought to listen to me about how you can use social media for business. Oftentimes people will say, oh, I'll do some social media for you or I'll, um, I'll, uh, you know, I'm going to help you with your PR and marketing. And I always say, what is your business? What are you trying to do? What, how can we, what, where are your costs? Where are your revenue goals? And then let me show you how social media or PR or marketing or customer service can help you to make that business more successful. Help me for a minute with the politics of the sell because a lot of the listeners to this show are not in customer service. They're in marketing or communications. Uh, in many cases, they may be consultants, but often they're selling to the marketing side of the business. So, I mean, you are a former Forrester analyst. You covered customer service. This is your space. But often, I think people on the marketing or PR side look at this space and they say, wow, I get it. I see the opportunity, but I don't sell the customer service. I sell to the CMO. Uh, any words of wisdom to them? Well, sure. So let's just do a quick kind of back of the envelope calculation for market research. So let's say that you have a uh, focus group and there's 12 people and it costs you $15,000 to do one. And you do that times 12 because let's say you're going to hold once a month, that's $180,000. Now, you take that $180,000 and you spend it on building an online community and with $180,000 you can have an amazing online community. So for one set of data from 12 people once a month, Compare that to having ongoing research continuously fed into your company that affects every single aspect of your business, not just one product. You know, do they like this color of the box or that color of the box? Do they like this logo or that logo? I mean, I used to go and be as part, you know, participate in marketing focus groups just to understand what that was, just to see it from the customer's point of view. So when you start to look at, okay, I'm going to spend money on a social media community, and one aspect could be market research. Another aspect could be um, understanding what customers are really asking for and changing your marketing message. It could be so then your lead conversion rate goes up. It could be um, looking at who's buying and who do you want to get, you know, create the advocacy with. So is it an influencer, an advocate, is it a detractor? Who are the press and media? You can start to really using social media monitoring really understand what's being said about your brand and take that information and integrate it back into your company. Now, I'm not saying that the issues for cross-functional change management are easy, but what I have seen is that whoever decides to learn this discipline and apply it in their company and show it to executives ends up leading the effort. And there's a lot of people, you know, that we can look to like Frank Eliasson or um, you know, those types of people who really didn't have permission to do this, but in doing so, they completely changed their career and also the companies that they were with. One of the things that I've also seen is that oftentimes companies don't want to change, and so then once you realize you can't really change a company, you end up leaving. And what if, um, you know, the company, you know, doesn't do focus groups because they can't really afford it? They're a smaller company 
or maybe they're a B2B and you know the extent of their advertising is maybe trade shows and so maybe some trade advertising, some email, um, maybe some banner advertising. I mean, what if there's not a lot of money going into marketing, but the company still sort of smells the opportunity and wants to get their arms around it? Um, and, and you look at it and you say, wow, you know, I can see how if they could sort of infuse their customer service department uh, with social media, you know, that would be a win. And I'll tell you, I have a specific thought here. Um, because I've consulted with a number of smaller organizations, uh, you know, that aren't brand names. And often, if they're on the B2B side, um, you know, the folks who do the conversations on the phone, the account reps, are often kind of proprietary and territorial about that information. You know, they don't really want to share it because they feel like it may undermine their job security. Um, but you know that if you could get them having those conversations on social media, they'd be leaving behind these digital breadcrumbs that would lead back to them and, you know, they would be found by others and it would, I guess, um, result in call deflection, uh, both direct and indirect. And ultimately, they'd wind up with better leads, more leads. They'd spend less time on the phone weeding through leads that aren't good leads because they would sort of self-select through some sort of, you know, social network. Um, any, and I understand, you know, this is sort of a long-winded question, but any ideas here on how you might go about making the business case at a small organization like that? Well, I would say that, um, the, I mean, the first step is, is monitoring, right, listening, what's being said, and there are a whole bunch of free tools, which I could send you my list of free tools, um, and then you can post uh, with this, with this uh, particular uh, podcast. So one is free tools, and so for me, there's no excuse for not monitoring what's being said about your brand. You just need to do it, and if they're, I mean, and certainly they're great paid-for tools, and those are probably better, but minimally, you can use the free tools. And then, I mean, there are a range of community pricing, right? So there's, you know, the more expensive kind of communities, which are along the lithium or jive. But let's say that you did something like Get Satisfaction. That's an amazing platform for small or big businesses, which does not cost a whole lot of money um, to be able to build a community. So I think that when you start to look at either a big or small company, the idea of doing social media, if you actually use, um, use it across your whole company, I mean, of course, that has to be part of your culture, right? But if you look at how can we help customer service, how can we help marketing, how can we help PR, how can we help product development, then that cost amortized over those different functional areas, you know, maybe it's a couple thousand dollars a month, and then you have to start to look at, you know, where else could we cut back spending to do this? And, you know, my experience, like let's say for B2B, I mean, I was working with um, Infusionsoft, and they do small business B2B marketing. And I was talking to the call center, and she, what she was saying was to really get the functionality out of that software, you really need some tutorials. You need to understand how to really use the software. And they were spending hours and hours and hours on the phone with people. They created a community site. They created online videos, and the customer service calls went down. And the ones that do call are really, really stuck. So... You know, I, I think that that there's a lot of people who are going to be naysayers, and I think we're, you know, if you look at Joffrey Moore's technology adoption curve, 
what you're seeing is the you know innovators and early adopters jumping on this bandwagon. And here's my fear for big or small companies, is let's say a company is listening to their customers and making changes and their competitors aren't. What's, gonna, what's that landscape going to look like in five years for companies that didn't listen and didn't pay attention and companies that do? I mean, my prediction is some companies that don't are just going to go out of business. Um, Dr. Nat, if people want to get a hold of you uh, and hire you for, for strategy work, where can they find you? Well, you can go to my website, which is D-R-N-A-T-A-L-I-E, news, N-E-W-S, Dr. Nat, Natalie News, or my email is Dr. Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, at gmail.com, or, oh, yeah, I forgot Twitter. So I'm also at Dr. Natalie on Twitter. We will have links to Dr. Nat's blog and her Twitter ID on the show notes. Uh, also, on the show notes at ontherecordpodcast.com, you can get links to these three videos on uh, making the business case and calculating the ROI of social customer service, which uh, Dr. Nat just made for salesforce.com, which are quite good. I would definitely recommend you check those out. We're also going to have links to um, prior episodes on how to develop a strong uh, online community. We'll have uh, an interview with the SVP at SAP, who's running the SAP Community Networks there, uh, Rachel Happ uh, from the Community Roundtable, who advises on uh, social network community development, and also a case study from Johns Hopkins and Avery Dennison. And last but not least, we'll have a link to these free tools for monitoring uh, that Dr. Nat has just mentioned. Uh, Natalie, great talking to you. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And great to, great to get to catch up with you again. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com on Twitter at OnTheRecord, or send email to OnTheRecordPodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.